You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. And when you get there, if you are able and willing this morning, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. So Providence here, the Word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, nice uh, chipper crowd this morning. It's good to see you. Um, My name, at least this side over here, I don't know about you guys. Did you guys get coffee? I'm just kidding. All right, my name is is Ty Gaston, and I serve as one of the staff members here at Providence Community Church. And uh, I want to thank you all for making us part of your weekend, especially if you're a first-time guest here. We're so thankful that you found us. Uh, It is our hope. Enjoy to be able to serve you, and we pray that you're able to experience the hospitality and uh, grace of God through uh, through His church this morning. Uh, so, uh, we're as Eric said, we're currently in a series right now titled Blueprints. And uh, last week, Eric uh, talked about the cultural mandate, which, if you weren't here or haven't had a chance to listen to it, um, this was the commission of God from uh, from creation to be able to go into the world and be able to create and cultivate. And build. It was the idea that while the Bible begins with a garden, it ends with a city because God's people goes, they go into the world and they build buildings and they create art and they make music and they create culture. This idea that it's always progressing and building and taking dominion over the things that God has created. And He gives this great gigantic mission to the people of God, this mandate for them to go into the world and do this. But directly after that, directly after that, he says to rest, to stop. That even God himself, God doesn't get tired, right? That'd be a problem if God did. He doesn't get tired, but even God himself set the seventh day apart to make it holy and he rested and then bid man to do the same thing. And so this week, we're going to be talking about Sabbath. And if you don't know, Sabbath, and what we're going to define it as, is God invites us into his rest that we might depend on him, celebrate him, and abide in the finished work of Christ for us. If you could, I'm going to pray for us. If you would pray with me that God might be here with us this morning. Father God, we come before you. This morning, and we're so thankful that we have another day that we get to worship you. Uh, you have made this day, God, and uh, we, we pray that we're able to give it to you this morning. God, we look to you, we look to your word this morning to encourage us, to bring life to us. God, if there's a dead area of our heart, we pray that you bring it to life. If there's a complacent area of our life, we pray that you give us the passion to pursue you. God, if there's any... Uh, If there's any hard areas in our heart, we pray that you soften them. But God, we just pray that if nothing else, that this morning that you get our attention. 
and we're able to fix our eyes and our hearts on you. And God, as, as we listen to your preach word, I pray that you would be with those underneath the sound of my voice and that you would be with me um, as I do so, that I would do so with a considerate and bold heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. So uh, like many families in America, my, uh, myself and my wife and my kids, we all get caught up in uh, TV series. We really enjoy them. It's a big part of who we are as a family. Um, myself, I rotate between Parks and Rec and The Office. It's just uh, I usually never watch anything else. I just rotate between those. I've probably seen The Office uh, 14 or 15 times all the way through now and now I'm going through Parks and Rec again, and it never gets old to me. Uh, I love it. I laugh really hard, and it brings a lot of joy to my heart. Um, my wife and kids never get into that, and they usually watch something on their own, usually together. And then th- there's this one series on Disney Plus that they really got into that I just, I just couldn't. And if you haven't heard of it, it's called uh, The Incredible Dr. Pole. And it's, it's this show on National Geographic, this reality TV se- series where a, a Dutch-born man... Uh, named Jan Pohl and his family and his employees. It looks at the life of them as he pursues his um, and cultivates his veterinary practice in Michigan. And he sees a lot of animals, but he mainly sees farm animals. And I just, I just could never get into it. It was too difficult for me to do it. There's just something about him helping a cow give birth that I just could never like get into, especially over dinner. It's just, it's just impossible for me. But there was a part of this process that was, that was really interesting to me and uh, I thought really helped me to, to understand some of the avenues that the world lives in and some of the avenues that God has called us to live in. And when these cows would give birth, if the calf didn't give any resistance, like it just came out, then that was actually bad. That was bad news. It, it actually meant that the calf was going to be born stillborn. But if the calf provided resistance, wouldn't come out. They would even have to get chains to pull, its le- to pull its legs out by the hooves. If it offered resistance, that was good news because that meant that the calf was alive, was aware that it was about to come into this cold, frightening world and leave the warmth of its mother's womb. So the resistance to what was happening was actually a really wonderful thing. And we, if we're not careful, can get caught up as believers to get caught up in some of the, and just with no resistance at all, lean into the things that the world is calling us to instead of actually offering some resistance that God calls us to. And the world is more than willing to invite us into this chaos that it is. In fact, busyness has become a cultural status symbol in America, as opposed to what used to take place in the early 1900s where the main status symbol of someone who was successful and wealthy was leisure. So the more time that they got to spend doing leisurely things, the more important they were, at least to the culture. Because they could simply get people to do their other things and they didn't have to work. So the idea that leisure is no longer a status symbol, busyness is. I mean, it has become the standard greeting of everybody. I mean, I'm very curious as as to how many people this morning when somebody asked how you're doing, you said, I'm just busy. It would probably be a lot. And if you didn't do it today, you definitely did it yesterday or the day before. But it has become the standard thing because we don't want to ever be seen as somebody who's lazy and not producing. America has become a culture that is largely built on production and industrialization. And and so now we have to live up to that. 
especially now that technology has gone up. But busyness, the busy and overworked lifestyle, rather than a leisurely lifestyle, has become the aspirational status symbol of our country. In other words, the busier you look, the more important you think yourself to be. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're productive, it just means you're busy. And busy, we, um, we think busy and production are symbiotic. And so in our society, we think that if we're busy, we're important. And important creates value and worth in our hearts, or at least perceived to be. But the problem is that because, tech, I mean, so here's the deal. Like in the, in the 1960s and uh, even before that, they would have, write all these articles about how things were just going to be able to be easier the further we went along. So as technology went, uh, progressed and uh, became more accessible, we believed that it was going to create more leisure time. Because remember, that used to be the value. So technology was actually born out of the idea that I would get to leisure more. But instead, it has actually created the opposite effect. That instead of getting to do more leisure, we're actually, actually more busier than ever because of a, of a couple things. But I think the main thing that it causes is the ability to avoid what's happening in the heart. So we have to ask ourselves why. Why do we want to avoid the state of our heart? And, and the truth is, is that the accessibility and connect, connectivity of technology allows us to really be diverted in so many different areas from what's actually taking place. I mean, if you think about all the areas that we likely delve in on a daily basis, they are, if nothing else, diversions from what actually is happening. Whether you do this subconsciously or consciously, it is taking place. For example... Entertainment. We live in an era called the streaming era where videos, movies, YouTube, music, all are at the tips of our fingers. And thousands, I mean, that's kind of the allure of things like Pandora and Apple Music. Thousands, millions of songs at your fingertips you can listen to at any beck and call and no one can stop you. Unless you're like my house and someone else is using it. But the idea is that you have everything at your fingertips. Sports, ESPN cannot make another channel for you to be able to see a different sport on. I mean, there's at least five or six of them. And it's the idea that you can, whatever you want to watch, you can watch it. If you get bored with one, you can go to the other and divert yourself from your boredom. News is the same way, in particular with social media. I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever, and maybe I'm going to like shame myself here, but have you ever been at a place where you're scrolling on the news feed? of Facebook, and then you get to a certain point where you're like, ah, I'm, I'm bored, and you press refresh, and you go to the top and start over again. I mean, if that, that is the state of our heart, the state of our heart is that we get so bored that we don't want to actually address what's happening. We have to stay busy. We have to stay busy, and it is at the, end, at the core of it a heart issue. Uh, if you have kids, you've seen this too. With their, um, if you, especially if you have kids in public school, you have seen this take place. One of the biggest surprises my wife and, and I have seen whenever we sent our, our five-year-old to kindergarten last year. He's in first grade this year. But when we sent him, we could not grasp just how busy they were. I mean, it felt like every single day we were giving $10 here, $10 here, money to here, PTO meeting here, activity here, event here. And I was like, my gosh, he's five years old. Like, how busy can he actually be? It shocked me. 
But it's this idea that even from an, even at an early age, and they're not doing it on purpose, but even at an early age, children are being entrenched in this. Got to go to the one thing, to the next, to the next, to the next. A busyness of the heart. In fact, the Bible even calls it, um, in 1 Thessalonians, calls it people are busybodies. And that's what we are as people. Peter Kreeften, uh, he's a seminary professor, he said it this way. We want to complicate our lives. We don't have to, we want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things that we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hold in our hearts and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. We become so busy, whether subconsciously or intentionally, trying to fill the empty spaces of our heart that we never actually have time to address what's going on. Like we want to address our heart, but we can't because we're too busy. And the busyness is causing the death of the heart, if you will. Have you, I don't know, maybe this is just me as well, but have you ever been at a place where you're searching for the sunglasses that are on top of your head? Or the, or the keys in your pocket? Or, worse, me, the cell phone in your hand? Like just, where's it at? <laughs> Megan, have you seen my phone? That's me. That's me. The busyness of the heart. Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, says it this way. You know you're too busy when you stop caring about the things you care about. So in other words, like, kids are no longer a joy to you. They're just noises in your house. Work is no longer fun. It's just something you got to wake up and do. You, know, you stop caring about the things that you care about. That's when you know that your heart has gotten too busy. But listen, this isn't a surprise to God because in the blueprints that he designed us with, he created this beautiful thing called Sabbath. And we've all heard of this at some level because, I mean, Sabbath is not just something done in the church. Even universities and uh, jobs and corporations take this time of Sabbath. But because of that, we have to, before we actually start unpacking what God has designed Sabbath to be, we have to define what Sabbath is not. And that's important because I think likely there are many confused perspectives on what this could mean. So first thing, Sabbath is not just inactivity. It's not just inactivity or vegging. So Sabbath is not Netflix. It's not sitting on the couch and checking out. It's not, um, and this is, maybe this will be a tough one. And I think it can occur here, like Sabbath can take place. But Sabbath in and of itself is not vacation. Like you can't just hop on a cruise to Puerto Rico in Jesus' name and everything just works out well. That's, that's not what Sabbath is meant to be. Sabbath is not just living like a monk, silent and isolated. You know, you and your holy huddle self off, into the, off in the wilderness at the top of a mountain, also in Jesus' name. Even though silence and solitude is a big part of and can play a huge part in, in your ability to rest in the truths of God, it is not that in and of itself. Sabbath also isn't tied to strict guidelines. So, for example, uh, before Christ arrived, the sign of the Mosaic Covenant was, in fact, the Sabbath day. But because of Christ, it no longer is. So it's no longer tied to a specific day. In fact, Paul was very clear in Colossians 2, 16 through 17 when he says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to, to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow 
of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In fact, a few verses later, Paul actually says that those that judge others for not observing the Sabbath on a particular day have the appearance of wisdom, but are actually not godly at all. That it's a form of aestheticism that they seek to glorify themselves and what they do. It's not, Sabbath is not found in what you can and can't do. It's not because of the sign of the Mosaic Covenant is no longer in play. It these strict guidelines on what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do no longer are binding on the believer because Christ fulfilled those in the New Testament. And lastly, Sabbath, and maybe this is maybe for some of you, you this is true, but I, I think I need to say it. Sabbath also is an excuse to get things done, to you know, to check more boxes off the list. Sabbath is not an excuse to de-weed the garden or take your kids to another practice or answer another email on your phone. It's not an excuse. Just because you have time doesn't mean you should use it to be able to be more productive. And those are just some of the ways that Sabbath has been used or confused. However, I believe the Bible gives us a clear definition in Genesis 2 and other texts throughout the New Testament. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Genesis 2 a little bit and then we'll touch base in other areas. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through, through 4, say this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had, that he had done in creation. Which brings me to point number one, true Sabbath rest builds dependence upon God. In other words, if what you're doing doesn't cultivate dependence upon God, then you aren't doing Sabbath correctly. It is no coincidence, friends, that after this great mission given by God to go into the world and to cultivate it, he also immediately afterwards says, wait. It's because he's communicating the message that you can't do this without him. You cannot do what I've called you to do without me. It is impossible. It's why the Tower of Babel is so offensive to God. Because they just assume they can just ascend up to him. It's, it's not something that they are able to do without him. In fact, we need to remember that we are not God, even if we would like to believe it. In fact, just a few verses later, which we'll get to later in the series, the world is going to burst into chaos because Adam and Eve thought that they could be God. They bought into the lie that if they just, that God was holding out on them. And they get, that these rules that he's put in place are actually not good at all and that they should instead create their own rules. We see this further, uh, further explained in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, verses 8 through 11. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Both in this text and in Genesis, it says that God's work is what? Finished complete. He doesn't need us to finish it for him. It's already done. 
So the, I mean, we alluded to it earlier, but God is not tired. He doesn't rest because he's got some fatigue in his thighs. That's not the case. Like I, the other day, my wife and I were trimming our trees and making them look pretty uh, in, the, uh, in the front yard. And it didn't take but 30 minutes into it, my arms were on fire. I had to keep taking a break and just go sit on my car and rest because it was, it was too much. That's not God. God did not rest because he was tired, but instead rested to be able to look at the beauty of his work and bid us to do the same thing. That God created the world and set apart a day for us to be able to acknowledge that he did it, not us. And this day is, as we saw in Exodus, it's holy and set apart, sanctified for the Lord, which means it should look different than any other day. That because of sin, we make creation the very thing that we were called to cultivate God. It's our, it's our temptation. You see it littered throughout Paul's letters in the, in the New Testament. His warnings about that. When it comes to work, working long hours or email at home, that like connectivity has really blurred this in a lot of ways. And, and we kind of have just, have just accepted it, like the analogy earlier, instead of actually pushing back against it. In fact, they are saying now... In a lot of studies that are done, one of them done by Harvard said that it is millions of dollars and thousands of hours that are wasted in corporations today because people are aware that they can connect to their email at home, do work at home, so they waste time at work. Because before that wasn't an option. You had to get all your work done at work and then at home was home. But now there's this blurred line and it's even become even more prevalent because corporations have realized this, so they just said, okay, you can work remotely then. You can work at home then. And doesn't that make the, the home life and the work life that much more blurred? That you never know when to check out. You never know when to, to turn it off because it's always accessible. You're always connected. You're always wired. And because of that, work becomes an issue. Family, it being the source of our joy and love. Yes, it can be a source, but it cannot be the source. God is the source of our joy and love and gives us the good gifts of friends and family. But we have a tendency, especially those with children, to lift those up and platform them more than what they should be. Money, playing into work. We want more money because, we, and therefore we work harder. Plays into that. Physical beauty becomes another one. That becomes our goal. That becomes our end. To look better, to feel better. We have a tendency to make creation the very thing we are called to cultivate, God. And because of that, we need to resist the idea that we can just do things, even in the name of rest. But this day should look noticeably different. We can't just do what we would have done anyways and sprinkle some Jesus in we need to set this day apart completely because God has. Our doing so shows a willingness to make him Lord over our lives and not just the advisor that we should take into consideration. But if it was, God, if it was God's good plan to rest on a day, then we should also say, you know what, God's plan is better than our plan. We should also take time to rest. Taking this time allows us to see how he's shaping our lives. Eugene Peterson says it this way, and I thought it was really helpful. He says, Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space. Not just, not just uncluttered, like physically. Like you're just sitting, on, like sitting down, not doing anything. But uncluttered heart, mind, emotions. 
that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. I thought that was really helpful because that helps us to see, not just have recency bias about what's going on, but to see the greater story of how God's interacting in our lives. And this is true uh, for those that have children. It allows us to mold not only into our lives, but into their lives also. L- listen, my, my son does not need help staying busy. There was one time I came into my house, this is no joke. On my Alexa is playing Bruno Mars. On my TV is 101 Dalmatians, and my son's on the couch watching a tablet. He's the only one in the room. I d- he does not need my help staying busy. He will do it himself just like we will. And so we don't need to, we need to be able to like set that time aside to show, to show our children and the next generation that God deserves our dependence, our time. It is our job to stand in the gap and show our dependence on God by setting a day aside to reflect on how good God has been. In fact, I'm even convinced that it's the non-observance of this day that has led to many of the deconversion stories that you're hearing here lately. Some of, some of the people that we respect the most and have listened to have this really sad story of falling away from grace, away from Christ. And it, it rocks us, it shatters us. But it's because this idea that we don't observe and, re, and remember our dependence and need for God that we start heading off in that direction. It's because the excess of busyness produces entitlement and fractions our relationship with God. So in other words, the good things that you do are because you did it and the bad things that happen are because God did it. You even see this in the, uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, do you not? The older son works hard, works to, get the father, works to get the father's love and attention and eventually, selfishly, his value, the things that he values. But whenever the younger son actually gets the gifts that he wanted, the celebration that he wanted, the, the festival and fattened calf that he wanted, that's when he checks out and won't even, won't even acknowledge the father. Just kind of interacts with him and shoves him away. It's this idea that if you, if you try to stay busy and do not observe the Sabbath day, the rest day, to be able to lean into God and what he's done, then things start to go really bad inside the heart. So not only does this create, observing the Sabbath create dependence upon you with God, but it also allows you, and it allows you to interact with the church in a way that I think is special. And the idea of the Sabbath binds and unites the church in a way that is um, unlike any other, which leads me to my second point, which is true Sabbath builds uh, true Sabbath rest builds relationships with the people of God. This is, it, it was a common practice for Sabbath to be communal in the first century. Many of their feasts were held on the day. It was the idea that they're going to enjoy a meal together and celebrate all the good things that God has done. It was during this time that they would, they would remind, especially after Christ, they would remind one another of what Christ has done and encourage one another uh, to keep the faith. In Acts, you see this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they broke bread together. They encouraged one another. They prayed with one another. It was this idea that you had to come together and worship God with one another and that this was going to lead you into the, into the joy that we're so searching for with busyness. 
Hebrews 10 says it this way in verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And right before he gets to this verse, he's talking about the idea that Christ has torn the veil and the spot and place that was reserved for the, for the high priest and high priest alone now is available to all because Christ has removed the barrier. No longer is the punishment for sin, for sin present for those that trust in Christ. And you can walk freely and confidently before God. He's talking about that and says, let us hold fast to that confession. And he says this, Going on, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers, sisters, we, it can't be so easy to just skip church. It is too easy. It's too easy to just not be in part of community in a home group, which we have here. It's too easy to not be a part of the, of the body of Christ. It's so easy to be able to just be isolated and checked out. Because we get this notion that, like, if I'm going to be in silence and solitude before God, it can't be with other people. And the truth is, is that the Bible completely talks about it differently. In fact, the Bible in, in some ways commands that we be amongst people. And we need this, we need to be a part of the community of God because, it's, because if not, we fall prey to what a lot of people call recency bias. That we make hard judgments about life based on current circumstances. It's something about being around the people of God that remind us that just what's in front of us is not it. Have you ever heard the phrase, you miss the, you miss the forest for the trees? It's the idea that you don't get to, you don't experience the fullness of the greater narrative because you're only concerned with what's in front of you. You can't see what's coming up ahead because you're only concerned about the two, two or three feet in front of you. That's called recency bias. And if we're not careful, we can fall prey to this. But being around the people of God, being in community, allows us to actually see the greater story and be reminded of that. Be reminded that God is bigger than what's happening right now. And so Sabbathing alongside other people, resting alongside other people allow us to experience the joy that we look for because we're reminded of God's grace. There's something about sitting with other people at a meal, something about a meal that's beautiful. And I don't mean food. Like, can we, not fast food, you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between a steak and a Big Mac. Can we agree to that? There's something about a meal, a meal cooked together, sitting around a table, telling stories of the amazing ways that God has been faithful that resonates deeply in the heart of man. And it reminds us of this goodness, the good acts of God in our life. There's something about laughing hard and loving deeply and that shows us just how wonderful God is. God is good to give us the gift in the, give us this gift of laughter in the midst of a broken world. Brothers and sisters, that is a gift to us because laughter represents bursts of laughter, a reminder that a day and kingdom is coming where joy prevails. Sadness, heartbreaks, tears will no longer be present when Christ returns. And because of that, joy prevails. And laughter alongside other Brothers and sisters in Christ is an, is an example and picture of that. And when we Sabbath, when we rest, there, it was meant to be communal. It was not meant to be alone. 
It was meant to be done alongside, uh, around a meal table together, laughing about the good stories and how faithful God has been. Turning your phone off is another big part because there is a huge gap between engaging and interaction. Remember, we have to resist the temptation to be connected at all times. I know it's tempting, but we have to be able to take a step away and say, I'm going to engage with what's in front of me right now. Interaction is easy. I could be on my phone, my son walk up to me, ask me a question, and I can interact with him, but get back to what I'm doing. That's interaction. Engaging is different. Engaging means that I am into you and what you're doing right now in this very moment. When engagement takes place, relationships are built and we get to experience things are not, that are not true for us if, we, um, if we're always connected. But this is not just for people. It's also for our engagement with God. To not just keep doing things, but to be. Which leads me to my last point. True Sabbath rests. True Sabbath rest abides in Christ. If you, if you could, turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 32. And I, and I could have chosen a more obvious one that is kind of teed up for me, like in Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 32. Come to me, all who are labored, and I will give you rest. Uh, I could have also chosen uh, Hebrews 4, which, uh, which calls us to walk into Christ's rest that he has created for us. But I like this story, this story of Martha and Mary. And it, I think it offers a particular message for us today in our culture at large. And it says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, are you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Could you imagine the, the horror on Martha's face? She walks into that room so confident, so confident that what she's about to say is right. And that Jesus is going to be my echo chamber, he's going to affirm me, and I'm going to be the one standing over my lesser sister. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at all. In fact, in fact the opposite, wow, Siri, flex my conversation here. Um, but that doesn't happen at all. In fact, he says the exact opposite. And, he, and he, she thinks that he's going to lampoon him. She was so confident that Jesus was going to do this, but he doesn't. And he reminds her that it's so tempting to be busy with the things of Jesus. Listen, we talked about earlier that in Genesis, right before, right after the cultural mandate, God says to rest. But this is also true, and it's also no coincidence that in the New Testament, when Jesus gives this great, this great, big, great commission to go into the to go into the nations and make disciples and to teach them and to, and baptize them and to do it, and I will be with you to the end of the ages. He gives this great mission, but right after he does it, he says, "But wait, but wait." You can't do this without my Holy Spirit. So go into the upper room and wait until he comes. It's this idea that you can't do this apart from God. And he reaffirms what God said in the beginning of Genesis. And, he remind, and we are reminded that Sabbath 
is meant to show us a picture of Jesus that we can't do anything apart from God. That Mary had it right when she chose Jesus as the good portion. That Sabbath is a shadow of what's to come in Christ. The Sabbath itself, the day itself is not the point, but the point of Sabbath is the cross. It reminds us of our desperate need for God. It's a reminder for us to be able to lean into a loving God that was willing to die in our place so that we may live. It's not some box that we just have to check off. In fact, we don't obey the commands of God, including the command to Sabbath, because if we don't, he'll destroy us. That's not why we do it. We obey them because they lead us into depth and life and beauty, meaning and hope. We don't, we don't have to get caught up in trying to impress God with the things that we do. Our ability to come to him is not predicated on our feats and our failures. In fact, sometimes we'll, we'll say that, God, I'll spend time with you once my life is right. Once I get these things lined up, you know, once I get my schedule aligned, I'll do it. But I would contend that that's not correct. Just as, and listen, remember we talked about in Genesis and Exodus, and he, God said one thing after all things were done. He said, it is complete. It is finished. And you need to be reminded, brothers and sisters, that this morning, this morning that Jesus uttered the exact same words in his last moment. That when he's on the cross, he, his last words were what? It is finished. That we don't, have to, we don't have to abide and earn God's love anymore because of what Christ did for us. And Sabbath serves as an opportunity for us to choose the greater portion and be reminded that Jesus is the point, not the completion of the task. That the work, the task is finished, it's complete, it's done, and we can rest in that truth. Sabbath reminds you that you have a wonderful Savior who is bidding you to to find your peace and rest that he freely offers to you this morning. And to rest the heart that is so burdened by the world. Jobs, kids, entertainment, they're all great and wonderful gifts But if we're not careful, they will divert us from what really matters. Just like Martha, God this morning and the purpose of Sabbath is to get our attention. I'm I'm reading this book right now called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And um, it's a great book if you you haven't read it before. And in this book, he talks about one of his interactions with one of his friends. And he says that his friend comes to him and says, I think God's trying to get my attention. I think maybe he wants me to do something. And Mark responds by saying, well, maybe, maybe he doesn't want you to do something. Maybe God just wants your attention. And that is the point of the, the, point of the Sabbath, to get us to stop. Not worried about what we're doing, but instead to give God our attention. So the question begs, when do you do it? When do you do it? And I know that you're saying, you don't understand, Ty, I, I have a business to run, or I have, a, I have practice, practices i got to get my kids to, or... I got an email to respond to, or man, I'm not caught up on my show, so I got to do this. When am I going to Sabbath? I agree that those things are good and that they're important, but are they worth the state of your soul? Are they worth it? And I stand here just as guilty as you. It wasn't but not even two years ago that I had to take a step away from ministry because I was busier than any person I've ever met. I was working 40 plus hours a week at a job. I was working 40 plus hours a week here. I was, and those are not coincided, those are separate. I was a full-time seminary student and in the Coast Guard and a family of four. 
I was miserable and dying on the vine. And it wasn't until I wasn't willing to have humility, so God said, okay, well, then you're going to be humiliated. And I had to take a step away from ministry. But it was in God's beautiful message to rest that I realized that I was valuable apart from what I did. That I was valuable as a child of God. That I didn't have to worry about impressing him or other people because I could rest in the truth that I'm accepted because of Christ. But given our culture that constantly creates attractive diversions, we have to be diligent in fighting against it, showing some life and making it happen. We can't afford not to do it. So the question still, are you going to be able to make time to hear the still small voice of God? It's my conviction that if you do not answer this question of when it will happen, that it never will. It's going to have to be something you, you pursue. More importantly, it's going to have to be a person in Jesus that you pursue. It's going to have to be a regular time of sitting with others, the people of God who will remind you of your great need for him. And listen, friends, this morning, right now, you're here on the Sunday morning. And maybe you have to stay a few minutes late. Maybe that's true for you. But the idea is that you have margin right now to be able to consider and ask God what that would look like for you. What would a regular rhythm of rest, of looking to depend on God, of looking to be surrounded by the good people of God, the church, and also resting and abiding in the good work of Christ, what would that look like for you? What day is, what day is it going to happen? How are you going to rest? You have the margin this, this morning right now as you worship to, to pray and to ask God for that. If you stand, I'll pray for us. Father God, we, we thank you for giving us our need for rest and creating space for us to take it. In fact, God, it's, it, it's my impression that because you commanded, you commanded it because we wouldn't do it if you didn't. And so, God, we pray that in our hearts right now, if there are areas that are busy and weary, I pray that you would give us rest. If there are areas that we don't quite see the picture of just how much we need you. I pray that you would illuminate that for us. God, if there are, if there are areas where we are frantic and our heart is overwhelmed and we try to run to other places to fill that void, but they always fall short, God, I pray that you would show us that you are the greater portion, that you are the greater one to sit around, not, not the task that we do. So God, we ask that you would bring us joy this morning encourage us, show us where we need to align ourselves with how you've designed them and be with us as we do so. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.